0: I come before you this morning to admit I have a problem. It's a problem that I've dealt with and experienced for much of my life. It's a problem that I've, I've tried to get over, I've tried to work through many conversations with Danielle asking why am I here again? And I wanna confess my problem with you guys in hopes that you can help me with this struggle. Here we go. If someone asked me to do something, especially if I'm dared to do it, I always say yes. If you challenge my manhood, there's a 100% chance that I'm gonna do that thing that you just challenged me to do. Is anybody else like that? Okay, okay, just me. Here's what I mean. Like, me saying yes has caused me to end up in high school with a bleached afro. If that's what you want to call... Some of you sitting here probably remember this look from high school. I didn't do, that wasn't the only time I did that either. It also caused me to end up accidentally buying an elderly woman's motorcycle at an auction without telling my wife. It also caused me to end up with a mullet and blades cut into the side of my head for college graduation. And it's also how I entered an international belly flop contest while on a cruise ship. I have a problem with saying yes. And the problem is it could go on and on and on with examples of things that I have done in my life because someone has challenged me. And honestly, that same problem is the reason I'm standing before you today. We were sitting in a staff meeting, planning out who was gonna preach, what sermon of Rooted, and I had chosen something else. Something that was gonna be easier, that would be great to talk through, and then some unnamed person, I'm not gonna name names, Nate, had asked me to switch. And of course, he asked me, so I said yes. I didn't bother looking at what the topic was or anything like that, I just simply said yes. So finally in December, I sat down to look at what I was preaching about. And what do you know, this unnamed person, Nate, had asked me to speak on the question of who is God? It's a small question, right? Not very deep theologically. It's not something you could never really comprehend or understand, right? Super easy topic to talk about. But thankfully, he asked me to do that. As I sat down and really sat at the feet of Jesus, I believe that God really worked through me, and I hope some of the things that he's doing in my life that you can get a little bit of glimpse of this morning. So I'm thankful that that person asked me to switch and tackle this. So the question is, who is God? As you know, we're in week two of Rooted. Hopefully you're going on this journey with us and you had your readings this week that you did. So the question of who is God, and I once heard a story of a super smart professor. He'd written a 5,000 page book on the theology of who is God. Now I can promise you, I did not even open that book this week. 5,000 pages, holy cow. So the guy finally finishes this book and he's sitting down with a friend. And the friend says, you know, what do you think about your book? How are you feeling about it? And the guy has this weird look on his face. He says, well, I was feeling really good about it. And then my wife finished reading it. And she turns to me and says, do you even understand what you wrote? Because I can't. Right, it's this deep, thick theological question that we're gonna talk about this morning, but here's my promise for you. I'm gonna keep it simple. One of my favorite passages in scripture, there's this moment in Matthew where Jesus is speaking to, in the church, in the, in the temple, and he's talking about divorce and marriage, and then he goes on to talk about money and wealth, so two big topics of themselves So Jesus. Jesus talked a lot about those two things, but right in the middle, we find this interaction where people are sending little children to Jesus. They come and sit at the feet of Jesus. And the disciples start rebuking them, saying, no, this isn't a place for you, come back another time. And so finally Jesus in Matthew 19 says this, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And here's why I think that's significant, because right in the middle of two big topics, Jesus purposefully puts this in, in this interaction with children and say, we can get all deep, we can get all theological, but the people I want at the feet of me is children. You can do all these things, but let's keep it simple. And while deep theological conversations are important, this morning I'm going to keep it simple for you, because that's what I needed this week. So to do that, we're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if your Bibles open up the 2 Chronicles, we're going to find the story of Jehoshaphat. And he is the king of Judah, and during his reign, ra- and during his reign, he is seen as a good and very godly king. He, did, he made some mistakes, but overall, he did a lot of great things for the kingdom of God. And in this, in this passage we read today in 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah are surrounded. They're surrounded by surrounding nations and they're getting ready to attack. And upon learning this, Jehoshaphat stands up before all of Judah and invites them all to come together. We're gonna to pray to God. And in this interaction, in this prayer, we find three pivotal questions about God that we're gonna work through this morning. And I believe they were very simply tell us who God is. The question though for this morning, do you believe it? Do you believe this is who God is? Because your answer will determine the trajectory for your life. So let's read Second Chronicles chapter 20, starting in verse one. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Meunites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gideon. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town, In Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants? of Abraham your friend they have lived in it and built it in a sanctuary for your name saying if calamity comes upon us whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress but now here are men from Ammon Moab and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt so they turned away from them and did not destroy them See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. So the first of three questions we see of God here from Jehoshaphat comes in verse six. Are you not the God who is in heaven? Now to be clear, when I say for all these questions, I do not mean that Jehoshaphat is questioning who God is. He's merely using it as a rhetorical question to remind and recognize that he is the true God of all the people of Judah. You see, when Jehoshaphat became king, the people of Judah had the same problem all the surrounding nations had, and then they worshiped a lot of different gods. The God you and I serve may be one of them, but they had different poles and altars, stuff set up so that they could worship all these gods. And one of the reasons Jehoshaphat was seen as a good and godly king is because he eliminated all those altars, all those poles, and only left for them to worship the God that you and I serve. Jehoshaphat here is clearly laying out that God is the one and only true God. The God that has all power, all knowledge, and supreme authority because he is the creator and ruler of all things so this is the first thing we learn from this passage about God is that God is our king and just like the people of Judah we need the same reminder because for too many of us God is not king money is king family is king our job is king my political party is king the list could go on and on As a high school pastor, we do small groups on Sunday nights with our high school students. We break them into four different small groups. And one of my favorite things to do is to ask would-you-rather questions. It's where you propose a question, and you give two options, and you have the kids say what their answer would be and why. So I want to play that with you this morning. Is that okay? Just one question. Can you do that? Okay, three of you can. Good. All right, so here's the question. Would you rather have unlimited plane tickets to anywhere in the world or never have to pay for food for the rest of your life. So unlimited plane tickets anywhere in the entire world or you never have to pay for food. I'm talking out to eat, I'm talking Walmart, I'm talking Taco Bell, I'm talking the best Mexican place in Wabash, Habanero, whatever it is, free food. So if you're online, I want you to type in the comments, would you choose plane or food? Which one would you choose? And here in the room, I'm gonna make you choose. This is a hard question, right? Hard question. All right, so who would be my plane people? I want free flights to any in the wo- anywhere in the world my entire life, okay? Who are my food people? I would choose food. Wow, more food people. I'm a little surprised. Is that why we like potluck dinners so much? Now, let me ask you this. By a show of hands, if we're honest, who would rather choose both? Let's face it, yes. We, if we want to choose Both. We don't really like the either or option here, right? Because they're both incredible things. You're not complaining if you get free plane and you're not complaining if you get free food, right? Both are great options. You want both. We want an and option, but I'm sorry I didn't give you that option. But here's the point. I think many of us live an and life. We don't like to choose between two things. We believe that God is king, but the problem is we don't stop there. God is king, and I love my job. God is king, and I love money. God is king, and I love this relationship. God is king, and I love my president. God is king, the and could go on and on and on. We live in this world of ands. It's not an either or, we we like to choose both. And it just shouldn't, be that way do you believe that God is king period there should be no equals Josephat even says it he says are you not in heaven you rule over all the kingdoms of, of the nations power and might are in your hand no one can withstand you he recognizes there is no equal there is no and God is the creator ruler all powerful and mighty and he is the only one that matters he is the king and there is no one like him Do you believe that? Do you live it? The next question we see in this passage asked by Jehoshaphat is in verse seven. He says this, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He again is not questioning what God has done but acknowledging himself in reminding the people of God's faithfulness from a thousand years before with Abraham to 400 years before with Joshua to 100 years before with Solomon God has been faithful and rescued them time after time after time from all of creation God has always been there for his people directing their path and he's rescued them when they're in trouble time after time so that's where we learn the second thing about God God is our rescuer God is our rescuer I think it's real easy As we read this passage of scripture To miss a very small But important point When Jehoshaphat speaks He says our God Did you not drive out The inhabitants Notice there is no we In this statement It's simply did you Not drive out the inhabitants It was all God The people were powerless to save themselves And God over and over again continues to be faithful And continues to rescue his people There is no we It's God only rescuing his people In my first few years of ministry I had a student named Ethan Ethan was a junior high boy Who I could tell a lot of stories y'all about you all know these junior high boys. You probably had one, right? Ethan, we were, we were serving some people and we were cleaning up their yard and for some reason, Ethan, this junior high boy, ended up on a weed eater. I was shocked somebody's leg didn't cut off, get cut off by the end of the night. But Ethan's, he's going around, he's weed eating. He finally gets to the spot where another student says, hey, heads up, you're getting ready to weed eat some poison ivy. It's like, oh, okay, well, it's not a big deal. I'm not allergic. And so Ethan then goes on to prove it by taking said poison ivy and rubbing it over his entire body because he had convinced himself he was not allergic. I remember I saw Ethan two days later at church. He looked like a balloon, y'all. He was just covered head to toe in poison ivy. Somehow he had convinced himself he was not allergic. And here's what Ethan taught me. As humans, we can convince ourselves of a lot of things that aren't actually true. We can. Somehow we get these thoughts in our head, well, they must be true, and I think we have the problem of convincing ourselves that our rescuing, that our saving in life depends on us, that we play a role in saving ourselves, and then before we know it, we think everything that's good in our life, all the rescuing, all the good things happen because of our talents, our abilities, and what we have done, and for somehow, God isn't even in the picture anymore. The promotion I got at work, it's because I'm a hard worker, I deserved it. I finally got the girl, its because of my smile and my six pack. I'm talking about myself there, in case you were wondering. I barely miss being in a car accident. I'm such a great and attentive driver. My mom's cancer is gone. Thank goodness I spent that time praying to God. You're welcome, Mom. You see how it happens? Somehow we convince ourselves that all the good things that happen are all because of our work and what we do and God is simply just coming along for the ride. We forget what James 1.17 says. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Every good thing that happens in your life is because of God alone. You play no role outside of just showing up and trying to be faithful to God. And the worst part is when we do this with our own salvation. We may say and believe that God sent his son, Jesus, to save us from our sins, but we don't actually live this out. All right, here's what I gotta do. I I, I gotta go to church, check. Uh, I even gave, dropped a 20 in there, check. Um, I prayed before dinner, check. Uh, I didn't cuss the driver out in front of me because I had my Jesus changes everything bumper sticker, check. Somehow our salvation is condensed down to this checklist and a relationship with Jesus isn't even on it. We think my saving, my rescuer depends on me and what I do. But it's not at all. If you believe God is your rescuer, you will know you have no control over your salvation outside of just showing up and trying to be faithful. Our role in this is simply to wake up every single day and be faithful to God and seek a relationship with him above all things. Live every moment, every situation in your life like you love God more than anything else in the world. That's your role. God and Jesus is the one Who saves? God is our rescuer. You may know it, but do you believe it, and do you live it? The last question we see Jehoshaphat asking comes in verse 12. It says this, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. When Jehoshaphat is asking God for help, He's acknowledging something in this last question that I want us to learn. The last thing is, God is our judge. God is our judge. He knows because God is our king and rescuer that it is God's role alone to judge both Judah and their enemies. And this should make us feel both comforted and uncomfortable at the same time. What a great promise to know that those who are around you who do wicked, those who slander the name of Jesus, those who persecute and kill Christians around the world, those who are at your work and at your schools give you a hard time because you live differently, God will be their judge. As much as we hopefully want and try to get them to have a relationship with Jesus, at the end of the day, it's their choice and God will judge them for their choices. As James 4.12 says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? As we have already established, the role of judge is God and God's alone. He is all power. He alone has all knowledge and all authority in this world. So it's his job to judge. And James makes sure to remind us that it's not your job either. Who are we to judge our neighbor. And while it should bring us comfort that those around us will be judged, it also needs to be known that you and I will be judged as well. Revelation gives us a humbling picture in chapter 20, starting in verse 11. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small Standing before the throne Books were opened Another book was opened Which was the book of life The dead were judged according to what they had done As recorded in the books The sea gave up the dead That were in it And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them And each person was judged According to what they had done Then death and Hades were thrown Into a lake of fire The lake of fire is the second death Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Personally, this is one of the most self-reflecting and humbling pictures in Scripture. And I think it should be for you as well. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, one day, each of us will come face to face with God and we will be judged. What you do today matters and it will be reflected on what happens that day. And in no way, hear me out, I do not want you to be motivated by fear or live by fear, I just wanna make sure you understand the harsh reality of what your future holds. And believe me, God is love, and God wants to rescue us if you choose that, but there's no denying God is our judge. Do you live like, and do you believe, that God is our judge. God is our king, God is our rescuer, and God is our judge. Three simple yet deeply profound things we learn about God from Jehoshaphat. And I don't know if you figured it out yet, but what we read here is eerily similar to our story as well. Just like the people of Judah, we have an enemy. We have an enemy that wants for us to turn our back on God. An enemy that is not for us, off, who has us surrounded. We stand knowing we are pressed on every side by the pressures of this world. We have an enemy, this evil, off in the distance. We see it in our world, we see it in our country, we see it at our work, we see it in our friends, and we see it in ourselves. We are in a battle every single day if we choose to believe God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do. And the devil wants nothing more than to forget who God is and to live like you are in control. Like God has no power. He wants you to live like this checklist life that I'm gonna do what I wanna do and I'm in control of my own salvation and he wants you to live like your actions have no consequences. I know you feel this battle, this tension of doing what's right, of wanting to follow God so badly with your marriage, with your job, With every relationship as a parent, you so badly wanna follow God and live for him, but it's so much easier to do it the other way. To do what you want, to take control of your own situation, to be the king of your life, to not care about the consequences of what you do. It's called the easy route for a reason. Following God and living for him is hard. Can you imagine the scene that Jehoshaphat and Judah sees in this moment? Together, they're in the center, knowing that outside their walls, over the mountainside, an enemy is ready to attack them. That is your story. In the distance, maybe it's close, whatever it is, there is an enemy who is coming after you, and what will your response be? because you are the only one who can answer that. And I love what Jehoshaphat says at the end here, and I think it should be our response as well in verse 12. Being surrounded by these people, knowing he's about to be attacked, here's what he says in verse 12, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We have no power, but we do not know what to do, but God, our eyes are fixed on you. When this enemy is closing in, fix your eyes on God. When you're faced with these situations that you've been in over and over again, fix your, your eyes on God because you have no power to withstand what is about to happen, only God lives. So where are you fixing your eyes in your life? As God is our king, as God is our rescuer, and God is our judge, the only place we should be fixing our eyes is on him and him alone. Jehoshaphat recognizes that, he lives that out, he prays that out in this moment. Do you live it out in your life? Do you believe it today? Are you fixing your eyes on God? Are you fixing your eyes on God in every situation of your life? When things look bleak, look, when it looks like there's no way out, fix your eyes on God. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story for Judah. Yes, they were surrounded, and, and after Jehoshaphat prays his prayer, I love what God does. God speaks through one of the people in Judah, and in verse 15, we see what God says. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 15, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up from the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with them. What a promise for the people of Judah. That's exactly what happens. They literally didn't even have to fight anyone because God made them turn on themselves and they were saved. I love that promise. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out and face tomorrow, the Lord will be with you. Friends, God is saying the same thing to you today. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Live tomorrow, because I am with you. God is our king, God is our rescuer, God is our judge. And God will be with you. And that gives us hope to face tomorrow. Do you believe it? Do you live it? Let's pray. God, sometimes it's hard to even know the words to say. That you choose us. God, every single day you choose us. And God, I pray today that we can fix our eyes on you. That we don't know what to do, we don't know what the future holds, but God, we fix our eyes on you. That we don't have to be afraid, that we don't have to be discouraged. And we can face tomorrow because you're with us. God, I pray that we believe that and that we live that out that we fix our eyes on you, and we believe that you are our king, our rescuer, and our judge. Amen.